Welcome to episode number 22 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Uh, Jason Matitas alongside Joe Torrey. How you doing, Joe? It feels like it's been a while since we've done this. But it's together, yeah. Yeah, together. But we've been doing like the stuff independently. But it's good to be back in the booth. Yeah, and uh, we've got a lot of stuff to get into today. We solicited for uh, Twitter questions on the at Stick to Hockey uh, Twitter handle. Also, I did it on my own as well. You can hit Joe on uh, Twitter, at Joe Torrey. And myself, at Jason Merton. Of course, follow the show on Twitter at Stick to Hockey Pod. And you can hit us up for uh, advertising opportunities at Stick to Hockey Biz at gmail.com. So, a lot to get into. We're fi- in the final week of the regular season. Can you believe that the, the, the season is, the regular season is basically over? One week to go. I'm excited about it because I I love playoff hockey like I love little else on this planet. Mm. But the other thing is that there's still stuff up for grabs in this last week. That's the coolest part about it. I'm not a big fan of the three-point game, but the NHL wanted this exact scenario to play out where there's a lot to still play for. So mission accomplished, NHL and Gary Bettman. Yeah, there's a few teams that are on the outside still looking in, Colorado being one of them in the Western Conference. I think Dallas is probably out of the mix now. In the Eastern Conference, it's basically there's nine teams at this point. Florida is the is still to be determined if mm-hmm. they can come all the way back. Uh, they've been playing incredible, but uh, have slipped up a little bit uh, of recent and actually lost to uh, Ottawa. Albeit got a point, but lost to Ottawa. And we'll see how this plays out. Washington looks like they're going to win the Metro. Boston now ahead of Tampa, if you can believe that, for the first time all season. Tampa wakes up today, not in first place. It's unbelievable, and we actually predicted it on a uh, pod that we did earlier. Yeah, about a month ago, right? That Boston would eventually catch Tampa. It took a little longer even than I thought because Tampa kind of rebounded a little bit, but yeah, the Bruins on top in the Atlantic Division. They look like they're going to be a tough out for anybody. Yeah, see, the impressive thing about the Bruins and and Nashville goes in this same category. They only have 17 regulation losses. (laughs) Nashville only has 16 regulation losses. It's remarkable. And it's easy to see why those teams are at the top of each conference, no question about it. We'll see if they're on a crash course for the Cup, uh, but there's going to be a lot of hockey between now and then. Um, also, obviously, uh, you know the, the, the playoffs going to start next week, and who knows how that's going to play out in the first round, who's going to get who. Uh, one of the big questions going in, and I'll ask you this right out of the shoot: can Pittsburgh, do they have the, the right tools in the box to go three in a row? Well, so here's what we've come to realize about this season, Jason. I think you can agree that Pittsburgh at this point in the year is probably better. It's probably ahead of where they were last season self-contained as a team. Because they have Latang. Right, exactly. But the problem is that even though they're better, they almost won the – and I mean no disrespect to the Penguins – they almost won it by default last year. There was Mm -hmm. almost nobody left to really challenge them until they ran into Nashville. They might be better, but there's a bunch of teams in the East that are better now. I'm not sure that they're going to have the distance. I was fairly certain about it before, but the steps forward that Boston and Tampa have taken really – Gives me some pause there. I would say no. I, I'm leaning more towards they're not going to make it. Their goaltending issues have been bad. Yeah, right now, if the season ended now, they would get Columbus in the first round. They'd have home ice, and that's scary. Now, Bobrovsky has not performed well as a playoff goaltender. Or against Pittsburgh. Or against Pittsburgh, but he's an X factor. And that Columbus team, the way they're playing right now, that could be a team that could give them a lot of trouble. I mean, so, how about that Thomas Vanek trade? Oh that my was God, crazy. No. I called him a mutt. I said, <laughs> I can't what a mutt this player he is. He's been great. It's it's been stunning. You're right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but also Pittsburgh picks up Broussard, which would be a big thing in the playoffs as well. Uh, let's get to the Twitter questions because we solicited a bunch. And here's what's coming up on the podcast today. Had a chance to uh, catch up with uh, Flyers head coach Dave Hackstall. He will join us. Very Flyers-intensive episode today, other than the uh, Twitter questions. Some of them will involve them as well. Uh, but we'll talk to Flyers head coach Dave Haxall about everything from lineup decisions, uh, the players on his roster, the young players like Travis Sanheim and Travis Konechny and how he's handling them, uh, to some of the older players like Jeru Couturier, uh, Shane Gostaspare, the goaltending situation, and others. So we'll talk to Dave Haxtell in a few moments. Also, uh, we'll talk to uh, Flyers reporter for PhiladelphiaFlyers.com and HockeyBuzz.com, Bill Meltzer. So a lot of flyer activity on the pod here as we ramp up for the playoffs where the Flyers have yet to punch their ticket. But they're getting close. They're going to make it, right? They've been like the streakiest team in hockey. It's been mm. ridiculous the way that they've run Bipolar. hot and cold, hot and cold. Yeah, They're going to make it. They're, they're going to run out of time to not make it. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you see the, or Brian Elliott's still out. Neuver comes back in the last 28 minutes. 
and you're back to Morozik and Lyon again. It's been a, 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 like a carousel of goaltending. I know you've tried. I've tried. I can't do it anymore. I, I've defended Michael Neuvert and said, oh, yeah, bad luck, bad luck. I, I can't do it anymore because people yeah. keep coming to me with the facts. Like, that. you know, it's uh, Czechoslovakian for, for tissue paper, I think Harry Mays said yeah. on 97.5. Fina- you, can't, you can't defend it anymore. It, it's just... Unfortunately, doesn't matter how good you are, he is a liability injury-wise for the yeah. team. If you're not available, you're not of much use. That's, That's just the, the fact of the matter. And um, real quick before we get to the questions, too, um, did did you see the Crosby goal? <laughs> oh, my God. Wh- which one? The latest in the ridiculous anthology of him baseball swinging him into the net? The overtime one where he hits the pipe behind Kincaid of the Devils and then baseball bats it in on opening day <laughs> is better than the first one. And ridiculous, but it's still not the most impressive goal I've ever seen him score. The is most, the, the one I have is the most impressive was the backhand shelf one-handed. Uh, where he last ca- year? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a crazy goal. He had the insane one in the Islanders game when first game back from the concussion. Yep. I mean, he's been out of his mind. Now, my favorite yeah. part of the the goal against the Devils was Kincaid. You can see him going through. Oh, he hit the post and oh, he you're couldn't believe me. it. And he said after the game, he was just stunning. It's just an incredible hockey play. There's just no other two ways to put it. All right, let's get to the questions. Um, let's start here. Uh, Doctor Jan Itour, <laughs> nice tweets in to at Stick to Hockey Pod says, "Where do you stand on the McDavid for the heart debate? As the Oilers are in the league basement this year. Now he's got 103 points as as of taping right now. He's leading the NHL." Uh, two years over 100 points for Connor McDavid. He's been great. He accounts for more than 42% of that team's offense. He's involved in 42% of their goals. He's Right now he's got 41 goals, 62 assists, six points up uh, for the most amount of points in the NHL. What do you think about McDavid as a, as a guy to win the Hart Trophy? Well, so he, the key is the Oilers are in the basement, right? And mm-hmm. During the time when they were not in the basement, during the time when their fate was yet to be decided, he was not a guy who was stepping up and carrying the team. Yeah, It's not an indictment of McDavid. Something was wrong in Edmonton. But in contrast, my guy, my selection, who's not going to win it, but who should be given a lot of consideration, the Devils aren't even close to where they are without Taylor Hall. Not even yeah. close. So mm-hmm. the, the, he's the guy that I look at. The, the Devils are really good, or at least on the fringe of being a lot better than we thought they were, and he's a huge reason why he's my vote. Yeah. Well, you can't. Yeah, he's definitely a finalist, and the point streak and everything that went with it. Now, during the point streak, they were actually an under five hundred team during his point streak. But that's not the point. The point is he's having a year that has risen the level offensively of that team to a whole different level. Right. When I look at McDavid, I can't put him in the mix, and here's why: at it's all, spectacular team, and, and to me, it's not you have to make the playoffs to win the heart. It's you have to be in the mix for the playoffs to win the heart, mm-hmm. and they are nowhere near the mix for him to win the heart. Right now, they're 74 points. I mean, it's not good enough. The team's not good enough, and perhaps the way he plays doesn't lend to the team. not saying he's not a good hockey player. He's a great hockey player. But whatever's going on there isn't working the way it's currently constructed. So I look at it, I go, I can't put this guy in the heart because an MVP rises his team to a level to where they can compete for something big, and they're nowhere near the playoffs. I, I, so don't I can't p- put them in the mix. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. if we were having this conversation, we're out at a bar with hockey fans or whatever, and they're talking, before the season, talking about Nathan McKinnon versus Connor McDavid in terms of heart candidates, yeah. it would have been a ridiculous conversation. We thought Colorado was going to be brutal, and yeah. they're just barely on the outside. McKinnon stepped up his game. I would have an easier time believing that kind of argument that McKinnon should be in the conversation yep. over McDavid at this point. See, I think McKinnon is in the conversation. One, because of his point totals, which are unbelievable. He's been having a great season, and he's played. He's got 38 goals, 54 assists, and 92 points. Missed a bunch of games, uh, but he has risen the level of his game, and by virtue, his team is now in the mix for the playoffs. So I'm not saying they have to make it for him to win, but Get they're close. in the mix, and they are right there, one point back right now. He's a finalist for me, but I do not have Connor McDavid. I can see him being a finalist. Is he the best player in the game? Maybe. Until you dethrone Crosby, eh, I'm not going to go there, but... Connor McDavid, to me, it should not be a consideration for the heart because his team isn't good enough. Now, Kucherov, obviously. Malkin's another guy that's got to be in that mix. Claude Giroux's got to be there. Mm-hmm. 93 points already this season. Um, all the little nuances of his game, too. We know how dominant he is in the faceoff circle. A move to wing. Everything else that goes along with it. Um, he should be there. Kopitar, perhaps, is in that mix as well. Um, maybe the one thing that hurts Kucherov is that he's got a great team. 
and Stamkos. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, I don't know who is going to win it at this point, but I don't think it should be Connor McDavid. That's just my opinion. Let's get to another question. Shawnee Hill had one that I was interested in at Shawnee Hill. Which five NHLers would make the most lethal power play? One must be a defenseman. All right. Uh, all right. Well, who's the best power play defenseman in the league? We'll start there. You want to start with uh, Eric Carlson? I like him a lot. I really love Jack Johnson as a power mm-hmm. play defenseman, too. Yeah, that's another good one. But uh, let's go Carlson just because of the pedigree of the player. Right-handed shot. Okay. Yep. So we got Carlson as your D-man. Okay, your center on the power play. Uh, you going to go Crosby there? See, Crosby does the half-wall thing mm-hmm. on the on the power play, and I don't know what our power play wants to look like. I know that I want Ovechkin at the other circle, wherever Carlson yeah, is Ovechkin is your left winger. There's right. no doubt about that. So that's where he's set up over there. So you've got to figure out what your power play wants to look like to begin with. I love yeah. Crosby on the power play. Malkin's probably better in terms of skill and stuff like that on the power play. Yeah, yeah, and, and like Backstrom plays on the right half-wall uh-huh. with that power play with uh, Washington. Same as Crosby. All right, so, so yeah, let's go. Let's go. Uh, man, do you? Where do you want to go? Center here. You want? You want to go? Let's go Crosby at center. Okay. We'll go left wing. We got Ovechkin. Uh, on the right side, we got to stick a big beefy power forward down low. Who do you want to put down there? So who are the obvious choices? Right, you, Wayne Simmons, mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Hornquist. Yeah, you can go you, either you of those talking guys. Net front guys. Yeah. Um, I mean. Brendan Gallagher is always scoring a ton of power play goals in that same area, even though he's not the exact same kind of guy. Chris Kreider's in that same kind of mix. Yeah. Let's go Wayne Simmons. We'll put Wayne down there. Because right. when he's healthy, he's as good as it gets down low and can also distribute from that position as well. All right, so we need uh, our, our pseudo-swing guy defenseman slash forward. Um, and this guy's got to be able to put the puck in the end distribute. So who are you going with there? So many choices because, like, Steven Stamkos is a tremendous, like, yeah, uh, guy threat. to do that kind of thing. He's the first one that I really thought of. But it depends on whether you're going to ask Ovechkin to fill that role and this guy's going to end up going behind the net to, like, puck hunt more. Yeah. That's what I mean. We, we've got a difficult task here to put yeah. this together. Now, let's put Stamkos there for simplicity purposes. All right. So, there we so, go. So there you go. Stamkos, Crosby, Ovechkin. Um, our D-man is Eric Carlson. And who was the other guy? Simmons. And Wayne, Wayne Simmons. Simmons. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Him? All right, so, uh, so we just solved that problem. It was pretty good. <laughs> um, another question here for the Stick to Hockey podcast. A lot of people with great questions. Uh, somebody asked him for the consequences of buying out Andrew McDonald. Is that a legit option after this year? Certainly. Uh, but you're going to have money on the books for a longer period of time. If you feel like, if the Flyers feel like they can buy out Andrew McDonald and have a replacement, a veteran, you're not going to have a veteran replacement but you're going to need some veteran defensemen, um, then you do it. But if you don't feel like you ha- can bring up an option that I, – I don't want to say at the same level as Andrew McDonald, but, see, people don't value veteran players as much as coaches do. Well, here, here's the thing, too, is that I know that you've watched this, and you and I have talked about this, that Andrew McDonald doesn't make – a million mistakes. It's just his mistakes are Flaring. incredibly <laughs> visible when, yeah. when he makes. But you forget, a lot of people do, about you know all the passes that he breaks up, all the odd man rushes that he's the only one back for. I mean, Andrew McDonald's pretty responsible defensively. I'm not saying that he's going to end up being you know Chris Pronger for this team or anything like that. And if you want to move on from him, so be it. But I mean, we've seen what it looks like when he's not in the lineup, and it's not overwhelmingly glowing. It doesn't look yeah. tremendous when he's not in. So just be careful what you wish for is all. All right, let me ask you this one. Uh, what player did you dislike the most but would have loved for him to be on your have been on your team? Crosby is too easy an answer. Back in the day, he would have said Barnaby. This is from Tony Luciati. Mm. Who's a player that you, a current player that you dislike right now? I, mine's easy. It's Brad Marchand. Okay, that's a good one. He's just a rat and he's a really good player. He plays on the line, oftentimes over the line, but that's the guy I would take. Uh, for me, it's probably PK Subban. Mm, I've never really one. liked all of the stuff that goes with Subban, fair or unfair, because off the ice, he seems like the kind of guy that you'd want to hang out with. But on the ice, he's got the dirty player uh, tag and everything else like mm-hmm. that, but he's undeniably effective. Yeah, and undeniably majorly talented. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy uh, talented. All right, here's another one for you. Lynch Mob, this is a real easy one. If you had the chance to select a 30-second city for the NHL to expand to, where and why? Now, we know that the 30-second city is going to be Seattle. Right. But so let's let's kind of take his question and and make it our own. If you are going to relocate a couple of teams, i.e., Arizona, mm-hmm. where would you put them? 
I would love to see Quebec get a team again. Quebec City? I would love I would to too. see Quebec City get a team. I mean, And I know that that's kind of probably not in the right spirit of the question because they've already had a team and everything yeah. like that. Uh, but in terms of old cities, that would be mine. Quebec City for sure. Yeah, Quebec City. And one of the other markets that's uh, hot to trot right now apparently is Houston. Oh, really? Now, okay. I would not take uh, Arizona and just move them to Houston. I would go to a, a Canadian market as well. And put them in Quebec City. The only problem is just the tax situation, the value of the dollar. Uh-huh. Uh, but that being said, that, that would be the one that I would go to. Would you be curious about a team at all in any way in Kansas City in light of how well hockey's done in Nashville? Um, I'd consider it. Yeah, it's a rabid sports market. So, yeah, I would, I would definitely consider that. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be one that I would kick around. I think that'd be fun. Um, one last thing, too. As a guy who uh, played the position of goaltender like myself, did you happen to see... The guy pulled out of the stands oh. for the Chicago Blackhawks. I, I, every hockey game that I go to, I have my gear in the car, just in case. Just in case yeah. I get the, the call, the <laughs> wish upon the star. Hey, is anyone available to play? That had to be just a dream for that guy. And 7 of 7 as well. Yeah, he made some good saves in the game as well. <laughs> His name's Scott Foster. He's an accountant. He's 37 years old, played at Western Michigan. Uh-huh. Uh, but obviously, you know, he's like a beer league guy now. But he goes out. And he made some pretty nice save. He made a nice glove save. Stop buffling. And a, and a nice post-to-post save down low. I mean, that's the dream scenario. I'm trying, if I'm him after the game, I'm Foster, I'm going around, and I'm trying to have everybody autograph, the, everybody that I stopped. If it's Bufflin, if it's yeah. all these other guys, be like, come on, man, help me out a little bit here. That was so cool to see. I was looking at his stats. Did you see his stats? He never had a 90 save percentage at Western Michigan. So, Is that Jason, right? maybe you got a shot here, man. I don't have a shot. He's <laughs> oh, no? 37. Oh, okay. I'm 46, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I got no shot. I got no height. <laughs> well, well, you know. We'll, well tie you up to the goalpost like Goldberg style to stretch you out as much yeah, as we can and cover all that it. net. It'll be perfect. All right. One last thing before we get to Dave Haxtell and eventually Bill Melter. Um, I want your playoff predictions real quick. Who wins the East? We're a week away. <sighs> Boston's going to win the East, I Boston. think. Yeah. Okay. I, I've been on that train for, like you said, about a month. I mean, yeah. you see them coming down the track, and, and they've got overcome all these injuries, all the suspensions, everything else. They started like 7-8-1 and one on the season, by the way. Yeah, they look brutal. And now they're just a steamroll. Bruce Cassidy's done an amazing job with that team. In our bold predictions, we talked about them and Detroit as being the two like old dynasties that yeah. are done. Yeah, Boston's not done quite yet. Yeah, how about my bold prediction about Joel Quenville? How about that? <laughs> you're looking, uh, you're looking. what's the term? Dead on balls accurate? Yeah, balls yeah. ass accurate. <laughs> well, and uh, Okay, so who's your Western Conference team? Uh, Western Conference team. Is it blasphemy to just push all of my chips into the center of the table and say that Vegas is going to continue to roll here? No, you can pick that if you want. Uh, I'm I don't not. agree. I'm, I'm going to <laughs> go with Nashville. My boy Pecorine continues to defy the odds, defy yeah. the age. Nashville's the way that I'm going. He's been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that they're going to get to the cup. No. Okay, who not. are your East and West finals My, my Western Conference team, how about the Connor Hellebuck-backed Winnipeg Jets. Oh, how good would that be for the game, too? Oh, awesome. Everybody would love that. Winnipeg will uh, play in the cup against, as you said, the Boston Bruins. Oh, yeah, Boston, too. I just don't see how Boston, they're just too good right now. And uh, they got so many guys that are perfect for playoff hockey. Ber- when Marshan scores, they're huge goals. Um, Bergeron, obviously, and Pasternak's been great. They'll get McAvoy back, Chara. Nash has been a really good addition for yep. them. Uh, and you look at, uh, you know, Rask and, and Net. I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. And I think Winnipeg's built for the playoffs with their size and the, the sniping ability of Line A, who's just so efficient. So I look for those two teams. All right? All right. All right, we'll be next speak. It will be on the eve of the NHL playoffs. But let's get right now to Flyers head coach Dave Haxtall joining the Stick to Hockey podcast. Dave, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing good. Doing good, Jason. Just getting uh, getting off the road and getting ready for uh, you know for the, uh, for the next challenge ahead here. Yeah, you're in your final week now of the regular season. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, how have you held up under uh, the conditions of being a team that was uh, up a little bit, then down a little bit, then down a little more, and then back up? And it's been one of those crazy uh, seasons. But as you know, it's a full 82-game schedule that you're judged on. Well, that's exactly what it's about. It's about the 82 games, and everybody has their uh, their ups and downs. And well, we uh, we feel like we've uh, we've continued to play pretty good hockey here down the stretch. And um, you know, four games to go. Uh, you look at the playoff race, the, the teams that get in are, are going to be the teams that uh, that win their way in. And, uh, you know, we got a good opportunity in front of us here. 
When you look at uh, you know the way this has kind of played out for you guys in the goaltending situation, losing Brian Elliott, who was a horse for you guys all year, and then Michael Neuver goes down at the same time, then he returns and goes right back out. Uh, as a coach, how do you kind of deal with that first in the communication to the team when you have such variance at the goaltending position, which is so key for you guys? And how do you kind of handle it internally to make those right decisions to get the right guy into the game in the right situation? Well, geez, I, I, you know, I just think that comes back to, you know, the, the foundation of, of the group. And it's obviously, it's a pretty unusual situation to have both of your guys go down at the same time. And especially for that to happen on a long-term basis. But um, I, I think our group has handled it well. Um, you know, Peter Morazic has come in and, and done a good job for our team. Alex Lyon along the way has, uh, you know, has done his part. And again, I think it just comes back to, uh, to the group in the locker room, not being rattled, uh, by any different, you know, situation. It's, you know, it's, uh, you know, a little bit the mentality of the job at hand, the challenge at hand. And, you know, you, you said at the top, you know, 82 games, there's a lot of different things that happen. There's a lot of ups and downs. And, you know, I think it's all about having a, a real consistent view of what you need to try to do on, on, you know, on that particular day to be successful. And, our, you know, our guys have done a good job of that, and it's been no different with the goaltending situation. Uh, Dave, when you're looking at your situation, you know, where you guys have gotten through points in the season where you haven't played your best hockey, but you found ways to win games. That's a sign of a good team. And then there's other times where you play pretty good hockey, and sometimes you find a way to lose. Uh, that balance has been uh, on display for your group this year. Uh, when you look at that, where do you think you guys are now heading into your final week uh, from a team game perspective? I think we've I think we've played well. You know, we've uh, uh, you know it seems it's easy to focus on the three points that we've lost over the last fourteen points. Um, I think you know what we do as a team is you know we really work hard to gain points every night and. You know, the fact of the matter is, over the last seven games, we've been able to gain 11 of the 14 points. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's always, uh, you know, it's important to, to look at how and why you lost the point, and for sure we all know the value of every point. Um, but, you know, I think what our team has done very well over the last stretch here is just keep every day in perspective um, and, you know, really be focused on, working to gain a point or two obviously the you know it's the two points that you need but working to do whatever we can uh to uh, to get points out of each and every night and i think that's our mentality we you know we've got a big challenge coming here against boston they've obviously just like everybody they've got a lot on the line we've got an awful lot on the line and that uh you know that'll be a heck of a challenge for our team coming home here uh, at, at 12 30 on sunday afternoon when you look at uh, some of your individual players, let's talk about Travis Sanheim first, who started the year with the team, uh, went back to the AHL and played with the Phantoms for a while, seemed to learn some things when he was down there. What's the difference in the player you see from when he uh, left the Flyers and now returned to the NHL? He just regained a little bit of his confidence. And that's, you know, it's uh, the NHL schedule is a, it's a hard one. It's grueling and it's challenging, especially at the, at the uh, uh, defenseman's position. You know, there uh, uh, there's challenges there as a young guy. And, um, you know, Travis went back um, and, and, you know, had uh, had a stint back in the American Hockey League, uh, did a great job there. Uh, and like I said, when there was the opportunity to come back here, he came back uh, with a real confident game, doing all of the things that uh, that he's good at doing. And he's been able to maintain that level here you know, through this uh, through this tough uh, stretch drive. He's been an important player for us. Yeah, and he's playing very important minutes for you guys as well. Uh, talk about what it says about a player when he goes back to the AHL to get a little more seasoning or whatever the reason might be. How they handle that as a player and as a professional is extremely important to you as a coach, is it not? Well, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, first and foremost, if you know, it's it's not an easy pathway to the NHL. You're you're not gifted anything, uh, especially coming through our, our organization. And um, you know, you you have to be able to handle that if you know if you're going to be able to become a full-time National Hockey Leaguer. Uh, whether it's going back to the National Hockey or to the American Hockey League, whether it's um, you know working to assume maybe a lesser role to be able to to grow your role. There's a lot of different pathways, and whatever the pathway is, there's an element of 
you know, real mental focus. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things that you see out of Travis. We, we've known that all the way along. He's mentally a very strong individual. He's very focused. And you know what? He's, he's taken every opportunity uh, to be able to build and grow his game. And like I said, that's why, you know, at this point in time, he's, uh, he's becoming a very important player for us. Uh, developing young players is one of the reasons why you were hired as an NHL coach, amongst others. But uh, coming from the college game, that's a, a big thing that you accomplished at North Dakota. Travis Konechny is a guy who, now in his second year, got off to a little bit of a tough start offensively this season, two goals in his first 38. You make the decision to move him up to the top line to play with Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier. And since then, Dave, he's been uh, one of the elite players in the NHL on several levels. Still has some frustrations defensively, maybe late in games for you. Uh, but talk about the growth of Travis Konechny and what he's been able to accomplish here, particularly in the second half of the season. Well, you know, Travis, was he was ready to move up into that role, not necessarily because of the offensive production that he was having at the time, but because of the foundation of his game. You know, the, the, some of the little things that he was doing on a nightly basis uh, that, you know, that said to us, hey, he's, he's ready for a larger role um, by, you know, by, by going up on a line with, uh, with Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux you know, you're going to be in a lot more critical situations. You're going to have more opportunity offensively, and there's no question, you know, TK has taken advantage of that, and uh, he's been very important to our team in that regard because he's produced um, when called upon. But, you know, it's also those other challenging situations. You're going to be playing against some of the other team's best players. So, you know, I mentioned the foundation to your game, the 200-foot portion of your game. He worked to grow that side of his game to a level where we felt like it was time to, to elevate him into that role. And, you know, he's uh, he's done a really good job for our team. He, he continues to grow. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of positives that he's learning from. Uh, you know, there's other situations that, uh, that he's, you know, continuing to, to learn from and grow and build his game. And we need him to keep pushing. You know, it's, it's not over yet. He's got to keep pushing and taking advantage of every opportunity here to improve the things that he's doing. He seems like a player that seems very uh, receptive to coaching. Uh, you've maybe had a little tough love with him at times where, you know, late in games and tight games, he doesn't see the ice uh, as much as he would like, but he seems receptive to the way uh, uh, you're handling him. Yeah, I, I just think TK is a competitor. And, and you know, that's that's the first and foremost thing. He's, uh, he's a great team guy, so whatever he can do, he wants to help. And, um, you know, I think... You know, every young player, there's always a learning curve. Um, but you know, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not always, you know, one time and you move on from that. You know, you add that to your quiver and, and you're good. Um, you know, but TK is a is a guy. Like I said, he he wants to learn. He's very very coachable. Um, you know, he can t- take direct feedback. You don't have to sugarcoat things with him. Um, you know, so there's there's not many things not to like about this young man and this, uh, you know, and, and TK as a player for our group. Yeah, at least if, if you're not on the opposition, he seems like a pain in the rear end to play against. Well, he's he's got that element, and that's you know that's uh, I think part of his game, right? Yeah, that's that's a talent that he has, and as long as he you know as he you know harness harnesses it in the right way, it's it's very effective. So um, you know you you got to love the intensity and the level that he can push through uh, and he can bring to the ice. If you recall back to uh, maybe it was late June or early July when the NHL draft lottery took place, you guys jump up to number two. You're able to eventually select uh, Nolan Patrick. We're really seeing this kid's full skill set on display now. Now that he's injury-free, really he's assimilated well both seems socially and also uh, uh, to the NHL game. It seems like it's slowing down for him. Are you impressed with uh, the growth that he's made in such a short period of time? Yeah, I, I am. I'm just I'm impressed with him as you know as a young man, and you know I'm certainly impressed with what he's been able to accomplish on the ice. Um, you know, it's it's an adjustment in every way, shape, or form, and when you have to do it under the spotlight, um, you know, of uh, the spotlight and the scrutiny that, that Nolan has had, um, it doesn't make it any easier. But, you know, he's, he's embraced that. He's done a very good job with it. You know, I think, you know, one way to, to sum up maybe the growth of his game, um, you know, in Dallas two nights ago, you know, virtually, uh, you know, as, as the road team, they had the matchup and it was, you know, Seguin and Jamie Benn versus 
uh, you know, versus Patty's line. And you know what? Patty was ready for that challenge. And I, I think that, you know, that shows a lot of the growth that, uh, that he's had here over the year. And uh, again, much like TK, still much more to come. Yeah, absolutely. And also playing with Lindblom there as well. Uh, uh, Dave Hackstall talking with us uh, right now. But uh, Dave, talk about your lineup decisions and and maybe I don't know if a preference is the right word, but uh, you you pre- seem to prefer to have veterans in the lineup. A lot of the fan base sometimes calls for the younger kids. Uh, but why is that your preference, if that is the right word? Um, I don't know. I guess you'd have to explain that to me. Um, we've got in our top six forwards, um, look at the mix of young guys. Um, on our back end, look at the mix of young guys. I yeah. mean, you can't uh, survive with too many young guys on a team and compete, can you? Well, you need you need that yeah, veteran I leadership. Think, I think I think we've got a lot of young guys in our lineup in mm-hmm. real key positions, and we use them that way. Um, sometimes it's not about veteran or young guy. Sometimes it's just about the best guy for that role, whether he's young or you know, or a 10-year veteran. So, um, And a particular there, matchup in an evening can determine that as well, right? Absolutely. And there's, there, you know, anybody that says there's not a value to a good veteran, um, especially at this time of year, I think is a little bit off base. But I don't think we've made any decisions based solely on, uh, you know, a young guy versus a veteran. I think we try, you know, especially at this time of year, it's not about, it's certainly not about that. It's about who the best guy is for the job. And, you know, that's that's how we make our lineup decisions. Yeah, and it's about winning hockey games, especially considering the race that you're in. Uh, let's talk about your captain, Claude Giroux. You guys uh, earlier in the season went through the 0-5-5 and stress, and that could have really unraveled a lot of teams uh, that weren't led well. Uh, but your captain, your team, your group, you involved as well, all kept it together and managed to turn it around. Talk about the importance of not only what Claude has brought game in and game out this season, uh, tying his career high already with four games to go of 93 points, but also what he's brought to this team behind the scenes maybe equally as important. Yeah, I think, you know, a team is driven by its captains, uh, you know, starting with the captain, which is G for us, uh, the group of captains and the core leadership group. And, you know, obviously your, your captain is at, is at the head of that group. And, uh, you know, for us, as we've, you know, gone through, you know, we've gone through some hard ups and downs through the year, having that steady focus, steady voice, steady leadership has, uh, has been very important for us. And, you know, we've, uh, we've got challenges ahead. We're, we're down to four games left in the regular season. Um, you know, in the middle of a heated race. And we've got a lot of young guys that haven't been through that before. It's, you know, again, comes back to uh, your, your core leadership group, your captains and your, and your captain uh, that, uh, that steady you through those challenges. Uh, Wayne Simmons right now, he's been battling injuries all season long, Dave, and he's a guy that's uh, very important to this team as a power forward, a disruptor around the net. Maybe the numbers aren't there for him. Is he getting closer uh, to being that 100% Wayne Simmons that uh, we saw the past couple of years? Yeah, Jason, I'm, I'm glad you brought him up because, you know, he's. I'm real excited with where Simmer is at. I just, you know, especially the last, uh, the last stretch here, I think we're really starting to see him, um, you know, hit his stride and, and uh, be who he is. Um, you, you mentioned some of the things that he's gone through throughout the year. He's the last one to ever, you know, look for an out or a safety net or an excuse. Um, but, uh, you know, when you, when you really look at his numbers, you know, he, he's still got, uh, he's still got a boatload of goals, um, you know, and he's, uh, he's still providing good offensive numbers for us. Um, and, like I said, I think the most important part, what I'm excited about, is what we've seen here over the last uh, short stretch. I think he's, uh, I think he's really getting back to his top level. Yeah, you really see that when in his board battles, don't you? That's, you know, he's he's one of the best power forwards in the league, and when he's when he's getting in on pucks, uh, winning, you know, winning those battles, protecting pucks, and then you know making plays down low and getting to the net, uh, he's. You know, he's one of the top guys in the league, and he's really hard to handle in that area. And that's an element that, you know, we can never have enough of, you know, especially when, you know, when we look at our group of forwards. He's a guy that you talk about leadership. 
he is absolutely a leader for us in that area. Yeah, no question about it. A couple more quick questions for you. Uh, one of the issues for you guys this year has been the PK. Obviously, when you get into the playoffs, you haven't punched your ticket yet, but you're close to uh, locking up a playoff position. It's something that, uh, you know, when you're playing against other playoff teams, they often have lethal power plays. What do, you, what do you guys need to do better to make your PK more successful consistently? Now, it's been good lately, but it's something you want to keep going. Well, that's, I mean, I think you just said it right there. It's, we, we have to continue the consistency that we've had here over the last month, month plus. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's going to be critical for us as, as we go down the stretch. I think we've, uh, you know, I think we've really, uh, done, you know, a pretty good job here, uh, down, you know, coming down the stretch. And it's not always just about the numbers. We've gotten some big kills at the right time of games. Uh, you know, here over the last few weeks, and that has to continue. So, um, you know, we, we, we've got a pretty good rhythm there right now. Um, I think the groups uh, that we've had up front, you know, other than, you know, a couple of injury nights here have become more solidified, um, and it's going to be a critical part of us going forward. And, you know, each night it seems like you, you face a different challenge, uh, yet a high-level challenge in the other team's power play, and you know, again, you know, Boston coming in, uh, they've uh, they've got all kinds of different options uh, that that they use and that they look for, uh, and it's going to be a big challenge for us on the PK. Yeah, one one day you get a challenge with a guy like Char with the bomb at the point and Marshan Bergeron and Pasternak, then another day you get uh, Alexander Ovechkin, then you get that Pittsburgh power play another day. It's wild. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you look at uh, playoff hockey and, and you experienced it in your first season with the Flyers uh, playing against the Caps, and perhaps that'll be the opponent again, and, and I'm not to put the cart before the horse here about the playoffs, but uh, your system, do you want to play it any differently in the playoffs? Because uh, d- d- you know you want, you want to pressure the puck. Is there anything you want to do differently in the playoffs? Uh, or do you kind of just want to dictate no, and I, play your game? No, you know, Jason, I, I think there's, you know, as, as high a level and, um, you know, as much intensity as there are to the games right now, which are, you know, uh, they might as well be playoff games. Um, you know, there there is still another notch uh, in terms of the intensity level come playoff time. Uh, but right now I like I like the way we're playing. Uh, I think we've, we've simplified our game. Uh, I like the directness of our game. Uh, and I like the purpose of our game. We have to continue uh, working uh, to be as consistent as we can in what we do. It's that time of year. You got to do all the simple things really well, and you got to do them through the 60 minutes. Um, so we just, you know, I, I want to see us continue uh, building and, and doing the things that we're doing. Um, like we said, it's, it's a pretty short run here uh, through the end of the season. So we have to take care of goal number one first, and that number one goal is to be a playoff team so that's where all the focus lies right now yeah and it's amazing like in this sport of hockey there's so much nuance to it it's oftentimes those little tiny things that make the difference and a player like Sean Couturier provides so much of that for you doesn't he yeah he does you know he's he's obviously you know he's gaining more attention this year because of the offensive numbers Um, but it's you know as important as as the offense that he's providing for us and the number of goals that he's scoring it's all the other little things that uh, that you know he does for us and you know that's why he plays the number of minutes that he does he plays in all situations and um, you know the fact that uh, you know he can handle those heavier minutes uh, is you know is also a real important thing for our team it's you know it's one thing to be out there uh, for 20 or 20 plus minutes a night, but you have to be effective and not many players are able to be effective with that type of, uh, uh, heavy load. And, you know, and, and Coots has been able to do that for our team. Yeah. He's the type of player. I always refer to guys like him as guys that are in goalies heads. He's in the other goalies head cause he's an offensive threat, but he's in your goalies head cause your goalies happier than hell. He's on the ice <laughs> from a defensive <laughs> yeah, <he's>, standpoint. <laughs> yeah. You know, a good centerman has, has a way of, uh, you know, just calming everything down in and around him on, on our own side of the ice. And, you know, he's, uh, when you, when you watch him play, he's, he's, uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's really the backbone up and down the middle of the rink. And, you know, he just has a, has a real calming effect when he's, uh, you know, when he's out there on the defensive side of the puck. Yeah, no question about it. Hey, Dave, we appreciate the time. Good luck coming up on Sunday against the Bruins and, of course, this final week. And uh, we're looking forward to a nice postseason run for for the Orange and Black. And let's see how things pan out. And uh, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jason. I appreciate it. There you go. Flyers head coach Dave Haxtall joining us on the Stick to Hockey podcast. And we go right from Dave Haxtall right to 
PhiladelphiaFlyers.com writer, HockeyBuzz.com writer, covers the Flyers, covers the NHL, covers the junior circuit. Bill Meltzer joins us right now on the Stick to Hockey Pod. How you doing, Bill? I'm great. How are you, Jason? Doing great. Now, let's get into this because this is a very Flyers-intensive episode as we are just uh, in the final week now of the regular season. Let's kind of start here. This this season's been very um, uh, bipolar, if you will, for the Flyers. Uh, right now, they're a team trying to find their way once again. We know about the 10-game winless streak earlier this season and then the response can you kind of put your finger on what this team is as uh, we're just a week away from the postseason? You know, it's been very hard to figure out this team this season. You know, I, I you know there there have been times, and, and you see it not just with the Flyers. Sometimes when you know a team is on a winning streak, sometimes they're winning some games that they probably don't deserve to win, and sometimes when things aren't going so well, they're they're losing a few where they played well enough to win or, or get points out of it at least. You know, but it's been it's been almost it's been so feast or famine with the team this season. Uh, I mean, it's been that way to some extent league wide. I and mean, if you look at the, a team like Columbus too, with the streak that they've been on lately, but it, it's been, you know, the, I I don't think that the season has gone only the way that I would expect it, or I think the way most most people would expect it. Um, yeah, if you came into the season and you said the Flyers' road record would be this good. You know, if you look at where, the, where they've been as a home team the last three years, of 53, 54, 55 points, even when they couldn't win on the road, you think, okay, well, the Flyers are going to be, you know, really solid position. You know, where, but this year they've been good on the road and they haven't really been very consistent at all at home. So, you know, they, they find themselves fighting for a playoff spot. And, and you said the, the streakiness with 10 game winless streak, 10 0 2 in February. I mean, it's been. It's been a roller coaster and very hard to figure out. So, I mean, pretty much anything can happen in the, in the final week of the season here. But, you know, I, I think if you said going in that the Flyers would be in control of their destiny to make a playoff spot and still in position to potentially push to finish as high as second in the division, you, you would certainly take it for sure. Yeah, when you look at kind of the result of the season so far with a week to go, and you see that uh, through 78 games and the Penguins through 78 games, you're two games back or two points back. And, uh, you know, you're fighting for that second spot. I mean, that, that's one of those things where you go, well, it doesn't feel that way, at least not right now. Uh, this streak lately in this up and down, obviously a big part of that has been goaltending. And, you know, the injury to Brian Elliott and obviously Michael Neuvert who comes back for 28 minutes and then uh, is out of the game again and having to rely on Peter Morozik and uh, a guy like Alex Line has been less than ideal. What is the status on Brian Elliott right now to get him back in the mix? Because he could be a stabilizing force for this team as he was when he was healthy. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Moose may be back by the end of this upcoming week. Um, Flyers are hoping that's the case, get him into a game or two by the by the end of the regular season and hopefully have him ready to go for the playoffs. That would be a huge upgrade for the team, assuming that he can come back healthy from a kind of a difficult surgery to come back from healthy the same season. You know, those, those core muscle injuries can be can be pretty challenging. Um, but if but if Elliot is healthy and and in, in good form, that's definitely a big upgrade. He, he gave the Flyers, you know, and not not that there weren't hiccups along the way and there there weren't some bad goals in game or, or whatever, but he gave them a level of competitiveness and and steadiness in general that uh, you know that's been lacking since then. I mean, since then it's been quite frankly it's been patchwork. You know, from game to game, you never know what you're going to get. You don't know. You know, not just who's going to start, you know who's going to finish, and you know that's that's very tough for a team to work through. I mean, very honestly, for the Flyers to to be where they are right now, given the nature of the way the goaltending has been for the last for the last month or so, I mean that that that's pretty remarkable. But it you know, but it's something that going forward into the playoffs, and I think we all remember what happened in uh, you know back in in 2011, where the Flyers went through three goalies in the playoffs, and really. It was more of a story who was backing up because there was a good chance that guy was going to come in at some point. You know, they went through Bobrovsky, was a rookie at that point. They went through Boucher. They went through even Michael Layton in that playoffs. You know, the Flyers, the last thing the Flyers won is a repeat of that where you just never know from game to game. But, you know, right now that's, that's kind of where they're at. That's the reality. Could the, could the general manager, Ron Hextall, have gotten a better option at the trade deadline? Uh, than Peter Morozik, uh, knowing the health of his two goaltenders and how tenuous that would be, not only for the immediate uh, future, but also down the line, should they uh, have secured a playoff spot? Well, you know, you, you can always you can always second guess, given how how streaky Morozik is. The thing is, is that 
you know, the Flyers were in such dire straits, you know, with, with neither Elliott nor, uh, nor Neuvirth available, you know, they were dealing from a position of weakness to start with. So to get Morozik for a, a relatively, you know, a pretty reasonable trade return was actually, you know, it was actually a, a nice move by, by Hextall. And I mean, you know, the thing with Morozik is that at times in his career, a couple of years ago, particularly, he looked like a rising young goalie in the NHL. He's just he's just been so inconsistent. You know, if you would have if you would have gone north of that, uh, I, the the price tag probably would have been prohibitive. So I don't I don't know if it if it could have been necessarily done. The other thing too was that having to trade for a goalie at the deadline because because of the way that trade was structured tied up so many assets. Even though you know maybe only one goes to Detroit, but they had to they had to based on the conditions of the trade tied up a second, third, and fourth fourth round pick in the upcoming year. That kind of precluded making any other deals to try to add depth at other positions. So yeah. can't you know, attach any of those under, picks then, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that under the circumstances, you know, they did about as well as they could. Uh, now the goaltending aside, as they head into the playoffs here, obviously the man that's been leading this team all year is the captain Claude Giroux. Uh, he's tied a career high to this point with four games to go. Uh, in points with 93, he's been uh, solid the entire season. And once again, uh, we always talk about availability being one of the uh, – uh, it's a big feather in your cap. A lot of people don't look at it that way. But uh, he remains healthy, and he's been extraordinary this year for this team, once again leading them back uh, uh, into playoff positioning. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I don't think that coming in – uh, anybody would have predicted that level of a bounce back to where he's a guy who, to me, deserves to be in the Hart Trophy consideration. Whether you know, whether whether it's uh, you know whether it's third or whatever, but uh, you know, I, I think he's played at that level where he deserves to be in the discussion for for the Hart Trophy this year. You know, I, I think even a little less than that would have been a really nice bounce back here for Claude finally to be healthy and and you know have, have the kind of year that he's had. But game in and game out, and and it hasn't just been hasn't just been necessarily just in in terms of points, just in terms of his ability to to make things to make things happen in a positive way for the team when they when they need a lift. I mean, he's he's you know he's been an outstanding leader for the team this season. I I think that you you couldn't ask for more than he's done this season. Um, and I mean, honestly, even at even at age thirty, he still has some productive years ahead of him. Whereas coming in, maybe some people are wondering if he's on the downside. I I, I think that uh, the discussion of Giroux among the all-time greats in the franchise is a legitimate discussion because he's he's worked his way in there. And you you brought the point about durability. You know, maybe his points per game are, are lower than a few other guys who are among the points leaders in the in in this decade. But listen, you know, a guy who's out of the lineup isn't producing anything. So. You know, I think the fact that he's been able to be in the lineup and play through so much is actually a testament to to Giroux, and um, you know, speaks to his value to the club. I mean, I, I think that in terms of in terms of leadership, the captaincy, and and the top of the lineup, you know, the the, the they're. There's very little you can complain about. Giroux's been fantastic this year. Yeah, and the amazing thing when you look at his season too, Bill, is. Uh, he's been in or in some way associated with 40% of his team's scoring this season. There's one player in the NHL that has a higher number than that, and that's Connor McDavid, right. and that's because he runs that entire team. Uh, for his team to be in playoff position and, and being on 40% of his team's scoring is an astounding number. It's Absolutely. Amazing. And, 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 yeah, you, you add in, you know, that he – you add in that he changed positions this year with no ego involved whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a, you have an established star who's the team captain, who's been in the top line center, and his attitude from day one was if it, if it helps the team for me to, to switch positions, I'll do it. And it was it wasn't it wasn't half hard at all. He embraced it. You know that that that's what you want to see from from a team leader. I, I think that uh, you know again I I don't I don't I don't think you can say enough about what Giroux was done this year. Yeah, and then you couple that with the face-off percentages and everything else. Yeah. It's, it, it, you're right, he belongs in that heart conversation. Will he win it? Most likely not, but uh, certainly a, a great bounce back year for the captain. Uh, when, when you look at this situation, too, obviously in Philadelphia, a lot of people uh, lend a lot of criticism to the head coach. There's a couple lazy narratives in this city, and uh, a lot of them pertain to hockey. It's the, when the things aren't going well, rip off the sea, the goalie stinks, and fire the coach. Uh, we've heard the chance of fire hack uh, earlier in the season when uh, during the ten game winless streak. Uh, but when you look at all things considered, and and we where we started here with 
the team's record uh, overperforming where a lot of us thought they would be. And you consider a young decor that's gone through some injuries this year, obviously the goaltending situation. Assess the job uh, that Dave Haxtell has done this year. I think I think overall it's been a, a positive thing. You know, where listen, when when the team went through the ten game winless streak, everything could have could have fallen to shreds. You know, guys could have started pointing fingers. Hacks all could have gone off the rails. You know, I, I think that uh, I think just in terms of you know people do criticize his demeanor, but I think in that case his demeanor was was a positive for the team. In terms of personnel management, you know, I, I think that. Uh, and, Look at look at certain things like the decision to to uh, move Giroux to a wing, right? Which was discussed with management, discussed with Giroux, but it was ultimately Haxel's call, you know, to to do that. Um, I, I think that he put uh, he put Travis Konecki on the top line at the right time. You know, they he had two goals in his first thirty eight games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and the Flyers had were a one line team, you know, and he made the decision, which is a very bold decision, to take to take Voracek off of that top line when they'd been basically carrying all the offense and try to spread it out a little bit and connecting got going, you know, and even, you know, even, even going forward, you know, he, he's not, he's not content to just let Konechny rest on points. When Konechny falls back into certain bad habits that got him, got him the doghouse as a rookie. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, risky plays with the puck that, that uh, even some that don't even necessarily lead to turnovers, just situations that are, that are not, the way you want a guy playing at the NHL level in terms of a two-way game, you know, he holds him accountable to it. That's coaching, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> that that's uh, that, that's what you want to see. And Konechny, and to his credit, you know, to his credit, Konechny accepts that criticism in the you know in the right light. You know, I think of a guy like um, like Druan who who pushed back at, at Cooper in, in uh, Tampa Bay, ends up going to Montreal, and his career hasn't taken off. You know, right. I, I think that Konechny has taken, taken it the right way, taken the challenge the right way, and he's, he's thrived with it. Uh, a year ago, Shane Gostaspair, you know, was scratched a couple of games after he uh, was, a, was a Calder Trophy finalist the previous year. Look at the, two, look at the two-way game that, uh, that Gostaspair has developed for the, the most part this season. I mean, he's, he's played a lot better on both sides of the puck. You know, you, you say, okay, that, that, that's credit to Gossip Fair, and it is. But that's also, that's also some credit to Hackstall for that, too, because he didn't, you know, there, there was a way that he wants his guys to play. And uh, that, that's bringing along young players, the, the way that Nolan Patrick has come along this year. Yeah, he's a he's a guy, Bill, that you you look at Nolan Patrick and you go, okay, I can see him being the most skilled player on this team in about three years. A hundred percent, right? Yeah. You, you know, and a lot of that was seeing past, okay, you know, he, he had two surgeries in the course of a year. He he went through a concussion this year. He had a short off season. You know, it, it was just a question of, of getting him getting him over the hump and seeing what he could do once he was finally healthy and settled into the NHL game. And as you said, we're seeing that now in the second half. There have been a lot of games where he's been the Flyers' best center. Yeah, and you're seeing you know? the coaches putting him in very uh, very important trusting situations defensively as well because uh, of his 200-foot game. Uh, the other thing, too, when you look at this team – uh, into this off season, and obviously they're going to get cap healthy finally. But one of the criticisms of Hackstall is his lineup decisions, whether that be Sanheim, who was eventually sent back to the Phantoms, now recalled, uh, and looks like it, that recall and the, the time in the AHL really benefited his game. But guys like Yuri Laterra, uh, Val Filpola, uh, D- Dale Weiss on occasions, and uh, uh, recently maybe a guy like Matt Reed, when you look at those decisions on the lineup, uh, how do you assess those? Well, I can I can see both sides of the coin there. You know, if you, if you watch games around the league, coaches in general tend to tend to trust their veterans. You know, and a, a lot of coaches will will in, in tie games, one goal lead, they'll they'll go with they'll go with their veteran role players uh, in third period shifts. And you hear a lot of fan bases complain they want to see you know this or that young player, or this or that you know, more offensive minded guy out there at the time. I mean, I, I see. Both, I see both sides of that coin. Well, look at um, Vlad Tarasenko is a prime yeah. example. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. You know, I, Tarasenko is, is a prime example, and I and I think that um, you know, or I said if you look back uh, a couple of years ago in Tampa Bay when Drewan was there, you know mm-hmm. how, how quick Cooper was to sit him. You know, I I think that that's that's just the way that guys get, just the way the coaches operate in general in the league, and veterans tend to get a get a longer rope. Um, now there are there are games where you know. 
you, you, maybe you would like to see some some games. You know, for example, where where Patrick would make a couple of mistakes and he'd sit in the third pier. You know, would it would have been nice to you know maybe in a couple of those games to have seen him play in the third period as well. Yeah, at the time, I would um, you know has has he has it hurt his development? Not a bit. You know, I I think that I think you have to view things in the bigger picture. You know, I, I think I think with Haxtell, the some of the personnel decisions. You know, I, you know, I think that um, you look at some of those bottom six guys, and you end up, you know, end up looking at matchups. You know, a lot of people that, that love the analytics side of the game. Um, somebody recently brought up a, a question to Hack, uh, questioning the uh, the Corsi numbers for the uh, for the Philpo line. You know, and and Hack kind of reacted very strongly against it, saying, "Okay, well, you know, uh, I know what the numbers are. You know, look look at how who he's out there against." You know, this this is after they'd had a pretty tough game against the Crosby line, but um, Patrick had done well against uh, Broussard, and and um, Couturier had kind of held his own against uh, you know against the Malkin line, and that was the not the last matchup against Pittsburgh, but the one before it. You know, and he said, well, you know, yes, his his numbers aren't necessarily very good, but you know, he gets he helps get other guys in the more advantageous matchups, and they're not getting scored on. But some of that's the bottom line. You know, I think I think a lot of that also has to do with I think the Flyers moving forward as they get more depth on the blue line, more guys that can move the puck out of the back end because that's where they get in trouble a lot. Mm-hmm. It's um, dog you know, chasing I, their yeah, tail, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think if you look at the you know the second and the third pairings, the the you know, the Flyers end up spending a lot of time in their own end sometimes because they they have trouble breaking out. You know, and and when it takes two, three, four efforts to just get the puck o- over the defensive blue line. You know, then it then it makes everything harder on the next shift. You're not starting, you know, even if you get your offensive guys finally out there, a lot of times they're they're starting out, you know, they're not starting out in an advantageous situation where they, you know, with an offensive zone face off or the puck deep in the other end, tired personnel out on the other side. I mean, it it, it all plays that way. You have to look at how all the pieces fit together. One of the, one of the things, honestly, uh, Jason, that, that I think that Sandheim's been very good at in in his call is not just the not just the offensive end, not just the up-ice plays, because those are kind of always there to varying degrees. I think he's been a lot better in his own end of the ice. Yeah. Gap control, you know, making that first pass under pressure, not turning it over. I mean, those are all things that he cleaned up during his time with the Phantoms. And that's really, that's really helped that second pair with, uh, with McDonald. Now, you want to get all, you know, hopefully you want to get all three pairs going, because, I mean, quite honestly, I think that the, the third pairing with, with uh, Brandon Manning on it, and not not to pick on Manning specifically, but I, I think that that pairing with Manning and, and Gudis gets in trouble quite a bit. Yeah. And um, if if there is a legitimate criticism, I, I think sometimes he does stick with the guys like Manning and then you know Latera and those guys. Sometimes sometimes those guys might get a little bit too much slack, you know. And I think that's a fair criticism. I also think a fair criticism, you know, uh, when he's had two healthy goalies, you know, even though they technically have a rotation. You know, I, I do think that they sat a little bit with Steve Mason in previous years where he'll just keep going with the one guy, you know, even though it's technically supposed to be a, a shared time thing. Yeah, tandem. You know, he kind yeah. of wears him out. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I do think that's legitimate criticism, that he's, he's worn out his, you know, he's worn out the goalies a little bit at times. And, I, you know, I think those, those are areas that, uh, you know, could still, use, could still use some improvement from the coaching end. And we hear about the PK. I mean, we could discuss that as a separate topic because, you know, that's the Ian LaPerriere's area, but you know, I, I think uh, I think another area Haxel's worked in being a better communicator. I mean, I, I think that uh, that was some feedback that he got sometimes in the off season, and I, and I think that's an area that he's improving as an yeah. NHL coach. So you know, he's he's still a young coach. I think overall he's done a good job. Yeah, he definitely not a finished product, but you're absolutely right. Uh, let's talk real quick about the off season, and uh, you brought up goaltending. Let's talk about Carter Hart with legendary year that he had in the WHL with the uh, Everett Silver Tips. The numbers, Bill, are off the charts. Uh, what can we? What's the progression here on a goaltender like Carter Hart? And uh, when will we see him in orange and black? Well, that's I, I hard to say. That, I know, but yeah, right. I, I was going to say. I mean, I I think that nice progression for him would be that he's NHL ready a year from now. So, in other words, the 2019-20 season, he'd be ready. Not not to start necessarily, but at least to split time in the NHL and be groomed towards the starting role. That would be that'd be a great situation. And a tandem with a guy like Brian Elliott would be pretty advantageous. Exactly. Yeah. If Elliot is still here then or a similar kind of veteran that, but that exactly 
splitting time with splitting time with Elliot, who, who you know he doesn't mind being in being in a shared time kind of role, and you know you can gradually work him in towards it, and that would be that to me would be would be ideal. You know, I, I think I think his numbers in the the Western League this year have just been beyond belief because if you look the scoring numbers around that league this year, everybody used to think of the, the Quebec League as a really high scoring league. Well. It, not anymore. Actually, the Quebec League is the lowest scoring league these days, and the Western League by far was the highest. Uh, you, you compare Hart's numbers with the other goalie league leaders, and it almost looks like you know his, his, he's in a different league. You know, it's almost like video game numbers. Yeah, like a 160 goals against save percentage right around 950 for the whole season. I mean, it, it, these are insane numbers. Yeah, and the you second know, guy in that league has got a save percentage of 917. I mean, see, there's your exactly, comparative. Yeah, you exactly. know, yeah, yeah, and and I think the. Uh, Second closest guy in goals against was something like 265. I mean, a, a full goal a game higher. Yeah, it's incredible. It was, it, was, it was crazy. I mean, you know, maybe maybe a dozen years ago, uh, there were any number of goalies in the Western League that were putting up really solid numbers. But that's back when you could lead the league with 85 points. That's not that league anymore. You know, yeah. Hart, Hart, Hart was doing that under much tougher circumstances. That's extremely impressive. And also on top of that, he had mono in the early part of the season, so he lost the first six weeks. Yeah, and, and to, re- to rebound from mono is no easy task either, yeah. as we, we've seen through different years. And uh, it's affected players in drafts, including Sean Couturier, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, let's look at Morgan Frost because, wow, what a season offensively he has had. And if, if he can put on the, the requisite amount of size and muscle this offseason, he's going to put them to a tough decision next camp. That is, yeah, that's the question mark with Morgan. You know, he, it, it's just adding size and muscle. The, the Ontario League website lists him at 6 feet 180, which I think is very generous on both counts. Uh, the, the Flyers at camp had him at 5'11", 170, which, is, which looked closer to accurate. And still a little um, generous, so probably. Still, probably, still <laughs> yeah. probably a tad generous. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, you watch, you, you watch the Greyhounds play, and sometimes he looks like the second smallest player on the ice. So, yeah, they have a guy named Hayden Verbeek, who's, you know, who's pint-sized. But, uh, you know, but, but so that that's the biggest thing with Frost is just getting physically up to par to be able to compete in the NHL. Uh, but the rest, the rest of it is there. You know, I, I, I watch quite a few Greyhounds games. They're they're just such a fun team to watch because they're they're the best junior team I've seen assemble in a long time. They've just steamrolled teams this year, and he's been their best player because when they've had when they had guys missing either due to injury or the World Junior Championships, he just kept on rolling and yeah. actually, you know, just was dominating. A uh, very very smart hockey player, not just offensively as as a playmaker. He makes he makes gorgeous passes. You know, he's he's more I, I'd say he's more um, surgical than spectacular. You know, even though you see the highlights, like an end-to-end goal he scored um, kind of recently against Owen Sound. You know, you, you see those. You see some just unbelievable passes that he makes. But really, it, it's almost like it's almost like he's almost Giroux-like in, in, in hockey IQ of, guy, right? Yeah, yeah, very very high hockey IQ guy. And the fact that he led all of junior hockey with uh, you know all three all three CHL leagues with a plus seventy rating. <sighs> You know, says something too. I mean, that's uh, you know, plus minus. Say what you will about, it, but when it's when it's that good and when it leads all three leagues, that says something about a guy's hockey sense. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those things I like to say. It's a team stat, a plus minus. But yeah, when you're talking plus seventy in that league, that's yeah. really impressive. Uh, real quick, another guy, Philip Myers. Uh, the development of the young defenseman. Uh, is he going to be ready for uh, NHL prime time next year? I, I think at some point next year, I don't know if he's going to go into the season with an inside track on a on a job. Um, you know, Philippe has had your, your typical rookie ups and downs. Uh, I think for the most part, he's progressed very rapidly. At one point, Scott Gordon said he was actually coming along earlier on at a faster pace than Travis Sanheim was a year ago. Now, Travis had a, an unbelievable second half for the Phantoms, and I, I honestly, I think Travis's second half of the Phantoms last year was was better than Philippe's with the Phantoms this year, which is not against the way Philippe has played. It's just the way that Sandheim came on a year ago. But I think I think both of them made kind of similar progress o- over their first year. Having, you know, Philippe lost a lot of time due to injuries in the first half of the season, mm-hmm. thankfully. And by the end of December, he was getting healthy again. He's been able to stay in the lineup, unlike Samuel Moran, who's basically had a lost season. He's missed most of the year due to injury. But I, you know, I, I think with Philippe, sometimes he, sometimes he's still learning what he can and can't do uh, up ice and and in terms of gap control and those kind of things. But when you have a guy with his combination of size, skating ability, and ability to move the puck, you know, and his shot too, because he has a very good shot from the point, you know, you, you combine those things, he, he's a very exciting prospect. Plus, a right-handed shot, which is something the Flyers need. I wouldn't be surprised 
if at some point next year Philippe Myers comes up to the comes up to the team, whether due to injury or other opportunity, and you know runs with a job. Um, and, and when he stays, I think he's, he's going to stay up for good, but I, you know, but I think, I think Philippe is still a little bit of a, a work in progress, but, but a very exciting work in progress. Uh, last question for you, Bill, uh, the 2013 draft, uh, the 11th overall pick was Sam Moran. You just referenced him, uh, been off injured this year. What is the future for Sam Moran? Is he going to be an NHL defenseman? You know, I, I still think Sam will be an NHL defenseman. I, I think that as long as expectations are kept reasonable. You know, I, I mean, there he's were a five, six was, guy, best case scenario. Uh, I think so. But, but a really good five, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's uh, and a mean five. Uh, so, yeah, he, he brings he brings a physical element. I, I think he could be, uh, you know, if he if he develops as, as I think and, and hope he will, he could be a left handed version of Radko Gudis, except better. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I get what you're saying, and, and certainly yeah, that that ferocity is uh, right. something that a lot of teams can still desire in this league. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bill, hey, we appreciate it. Uh, we, we can read your stuff at hockeybuzz.com, also on philadelphiaflyers.com. You're a multimedia star. I see the vi- <laughs> the videos, the the written word, the podcast. You, you're doing it all, man. We appreciate you taking the time. Oh, anytime. Pleasure, Jason.